on hospice and she did pass. So the family is in Texas um, together uh, honoring her mother's life. They will be back next Sunday. Uh, but just uh, keep them, their family in your prayers and know that they send their love um, to you all. And, um, and they, they covet your prayers and thank you for your prayers. Well, I'm going to open up with some scriptures, which is odd for me. I know I usually put them somewhere in the middle. But I want to read a couple scriptures to you. I'm going to go to 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then my favorite scripture, Romans 38 and 39 for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So, Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that your presence is here and that your word will go forth and that hearts will be comforted, lives will be changed, Father God, in, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So you've probably heard ministers say, you know, while you're listening to this message, uh, listen to it for yourself. Don't be looking at your neighbor saying, preach it, pastor. Sister so-and-so needs to hear this, or brother so-and-so needs to hear about this, right? We're all guilty. We've probably all done that. But I do want you to listen to this message for yourself today, but I also want you to listen to it for sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. And so I do want you to be listening and <coughs> thinking of people, excuse me, I'm dealing with allergies, so... Please forgive me. <clears throat> I do want you to listen to the message, and I want you to think about the people that need this. Because today, I want to speak about living loved, which is exactly what those song, that last song, that last song destroyed me. I just want you to know. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up there and speak after this. But I want to talk to you about living loved, because we just read in 1 John, that God is love, right? We, went, we, we read in Romans that God demonstrated his love towards us when we were yet sinners. That means when we were out there living a life, not even thinking about God, uh, speaking him, of him in all sorts of ways that he shouldn't be spoken of, he still loved us. And he died for us while we were in that state. And we also learned that nothing could separate us from his love. So anything that you can think of 
Anything that pops in your mind to tell you why God doesn't love you or why you're not worthy or why he's going to turn his back on you, Romans 8, 38, and 39 pretty much covers it. There's nothing you're going to think of that doesn't fall into that scripture. Because he finished it up with, look, in the case I missed it, all created things. All created things. Nothing will separate me from him. And everything is created by him. There is nothing that's not created. So everything is covered in that scripture. So Christ laid down his life for us in the ultimate expression of love. And he laid it down for us to demonstrate the Godhead's love towards us. For all those that are created in his image. Who's created in his image? How about people that don't know him and are unsaved and are living for the devil right now? They're created in the image of God. He laid down his life for all those that are created in his image. So this message goes well beyond the church walls. His love goes well beyond the church walls, right? Revelations... A revelation in Ephesians tells us that the, our, this plan of God's was put into place before the foundation of the world. That means before he ever even created us, he had the plan. Before he even created us, he already said, don't worry, I'm making a way, there's a path back to me. And they're going to know that my love is there for them. God is love. He's not, it's that love is not something he does. It's not something that he just dispenses. It's not something he maybe just possesses, pulls it out every now and then. Love is God's very essence, his very character. He cannot operate outside of love. It is who he is. And God sees us and he sees every single person through eyes of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7 gives us a little bit of glimpse into what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love suffers long and is kind Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love, do, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation because it expands on it a little bit and I, and I just love the way it puts it in the Passion Translation. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflates its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame 
and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter. I love that. For it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. That's just a little glimpse of who God is. That's a, just a little glimpse of who he sees you and all those we come in contact with. Those, that's the filter he sees us through. That's the filter he deals with us through. 1 Corinthians says faith, hope, and love will last forever. Those three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul tells us the most excellent way. He tells us a whole list of things, of miracles that we can do, and all these wonderful things. But then he says, but let me tell you about the most excellent way. And then he says, it's love. Love is the most excellent way. So we know that God loves us, all right? This is, I know, no new information for anybody here, right? You've heard this a thousand times that God loves you. But, do you believe that God's love for you is unconditional? Wendy mentioned it this morning. She said his love is unconditional. And I was like, yeah. That's the part we don't get. We, we all know God loves us. We've heard it. But the part that his love for us is unconditional is the part that we miss. This is the part where we can see the difference between religion and relationship. Right here. This, this issue right here. You can easily tell if you're operating in religion or if you're operating in relationship. Religion says, God loves me, but he's also holy implying that we must conduct ourselves in a certain way or else we're going to lose God's love. God loves me, but he's a judge, implying that he's going to judge us harshly. He's going to put the wrong he's going to put a guilty judgment against us. And if we do something wrong, we're on the outside of his love and he's going to rule against us. Or God loves me, but he's righteous. God loves me, but... And then fill in the blank with whatever comes to your mind. That's religion. God loves me, but... Relationship says, God loves me. Period. 
End of sentence. God loves me. God never wanted to commune with us through religion. God always wanted to communicate with us and commune with us through relationship. That has always been the plan. But is God holy? He is. Is he righteous? He is. Is he a judge? He is. So there's Bible for that, right? But what does he say about you and me concerning those things? In 1 Peter, we're called a royal priesthood in a holy nation. God is holy. So are we. 2 Corinthians says we are righteous, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God is righteous. So are we. Romans tells us we have been justified as if we are never we have never sinned. We've been found not guilty through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has judged us, and his verdict is not guilty. So if we put God in the right perspective, his holiness, his righteousness, his judgment does not negate his unconditional love for us. Both can be true. And because of the fact that we are now co-heirs with Christ, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, the plan that was laid from the foundation of the earth God said, yes, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm a judge, so are you. You're holy, you're righteous, it's my gift to you. And I found you not guilty, I've taken care of all that. But see, there was a problem all the way back in the beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis, and they chose the wrong tree. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That set us into a tailspin. See, because now we're going to be our own selves. We're going to be independent. We're going to do this thing on our own. We got the knowledge we need now. Ain't nobody going to tell me nothing. Right? It's kind of the way things work now. All right? So, so that little mistake... That one little bite from a fruit, way back in the beginning, put a whole bunch of bad decisions into action, put a whole bunch of stuff into play, and we're still trying to clean it up now. But see, God's judgment is not based on man's standards. It's based on his love and his kindness. God is a consuming fire. We tend to think of that fire as something punitive, punishment. God's going to burn us alive. 
because we messed it all up. God's fire is refining. It's not meant to be punitive. It's not meant to torture you and destroy you and burn you alive. God's fire is meant to purify, to redeem. He is jealous for you. We just read that love is not jealous. God is jealous. But what he's jealous of is anything not of love's kind that would come and try to steal you from him and try to take you away from him. And his consuming fire will burn from you anything that is not of love's kind. Anything that separates you from him. Anything that allows you to see him through eyes of judgment. Anything that skews who he really is in your eyes and keeps you from him and causes you when you fall into sin that causes you to run from him instead of to him. His fire wants to burn all that away. He wants you to see him through eyes of love, through who he really is. Now at the beginning of this message, well, let me, let me read. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 through you. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ. He didn't turn his back on him or leave him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Who is he reconciling? The world. That's the saved and the unsaved alike. Imputing their trespasses, uh, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed a, to us the world, word of reconciliation. We have a word of reconciliation. Um, I was telling the community group the other night, I, I watched this movie. It's not normally a movie I would watch because, to be very honest with you, it didn't have the cleanest language in it and it didn't have the cleanest scenarios in it. It, it wasn't a movie that I would normally watch, but my heart was broken for the characters in the movie. And a, missionary, a, a person on a mission, missionary kind of deal comes to the house to present Christ to him, and so... I was drawn to continue watching this movie. I wanted to see how this played out. I wanted to see if these characters realized how much God loved them. But actually, it was the old message of the church, you know, from 30 years ago. If you don't act right, you're going to hell. And because you're living a lifestyle that is not a good lifestyle, according to Scripture, you're doomed. And the person that, uh, there was a, a, another character you never saw in the, in the movie, but he committed suicide. And so there was great heartache for this other character because of that suicide. And so the person 
that had the heartache was basically told, because you all were involved in this sinful lifestyle, you see, the sin was so heavy, he couldn't live with it. He realized what he'd done against God, so he killed himself. So basically, it's your fault. And so it broke my heart. Now, these are just characters, but I'm sure that that story is true somewhere. And I thought, no, no, no. You missed the whole point of God's unconditional love. There was a chance here to, to bring all these people great comfort and to reintroduce them to their father who created them. There was a chance here. But instead, we use scripture and we beat them with it. And we kept them in their place of brokenness. And we made sure that they knew there was no way out of the brokenness. Because God's not even going to look at you in your current condition. See, I'm so grateful that the, the church has gotten the message. And that is not what we say anymore. We see God through eyes of love. Not clearly yet, but we're getting there. We're moving in that direction. I know we're getting it here. But we, I asked you to listen to the story, not for your, this, this message, not just for yourselves, but for others, because we have been given that ministry of reconciliation. And it's our privilege to share with those who don't know Jesus Christ that God loves them. And that he's already reconciled them to him. They don't have to do anything to make him look at them. He, he's not mad at them. He's not angry. He's not sitting there waiting to punish them as soon as they turn to him. And make him pay for the things that they've done. They need to know the stories that they've been told about an angry, judgmental, hateful God are not true. He's not too disgusted to look at them. It's important that people hear of this love that God has for them. Because it's important that they realize that if they broke the rules, that they're not going to suffer severe spiritual and eternal consequences. There's a way out. There's a way to turn it around. And when people don't know that, it can cause them to make decisions that send them down very dark paths that they were never meant to walk. And some people might not ever get off that path. Like the characters in that movie. The, the gentleman with the heartache died feeling that he was a disgrace to God, that God would never look at him, that he was disgusting. And he never got off the path. He never had an opportunity presented to him to get off the path. I 
I grew up in a very stable home. I had very loving parents, very supportive of my brothers and my sister and I. There was never any, I, I can say that when I, I tell people, you know, when I look back on my childhood, in my eyes, my remembrance of things, were there good times and bad times, of course, but my remembrance of things was I had a storybook childhood. I did. I just had great parents. My brothers and my sister and I are still uh, tied together at the hip to this day. Um, we're just very, very close. And so feeling loved and supported in my family was never an issue. Um, feeling like I wasn't uh, appreciated by my parents or loved by my parents. That just, I, I, just, I know many people have had to deal with that, and my heart breaks for those that have. But my, that's not my story. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that greatly. I wouldn't say we were a religious, a very religious family, but um, I was raised in, up in the church. We did go to church uh, for most of my upbringing. Uh, we were raised to believe in God. My, we were raised with um, strong work ethics, moral standards, you know, those kinds of things. But the takeaway I got from church was um, that God would, would, I mean, it wasn't hard to step out of line to get him mad at you. And so I was very sin conscious. Um, very sin conscious. You know, oh, uh, you know, I, I mouthed it off to my mom. All right, I'm going to have to go and ask for forgiveness for that, because if not, I won't be able to take communion on Sunday. You know, um, Oh, I did this, I did that. Anyway, everything was measured, you know, according to sin. Now, did I, did I verbalize these things? No. I never told anybody that. I never told my mom that or my dad that. It was just, it was in here. This is what I was taught. So this is what I, you know, lived, lived life with. So my mother, she had uh, very high moral standards. I was very important to her. She lived her life that way. And of those standards that she held very dear to her was purity until marriage, especially her, her girls. That was on the top of the list. And the church backed her up, and Scripture backs her up. Now, I'm going to tell you this story, but I don't want you to hear Oh, she's condoning sin. God's okay with it. And so we can live the way, you know, live and do all these kinds. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because the reason sin is sin, or one of the reasons that sin is sin, is, and God hates it so much, is because it destroys everything in its path. It destroys you. It destroys me. It destroys everybody around us. And it, because what is its, pay, what is its paycheck? Death. Death. You will get paid. And it will be death. So, under no circumstances do I want you to misinterpret what I tell you as condoning sin. Okay? Just put that little disclaimer out there. 
So one of her things uh, that she would always say to us when it came to uh, relationships with boys is, good girls don't do that. And, and I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Good girls don't do that. And she would always tell me that. Good girls don't do that. Well, when I was 16, I started dating Michael. He was 19. He was in the military. Most of you don't know um, Alan. I've been blessed with a wonderful husband now. He's my second husband. I was married to Michael uh, for 10 years. I've now been married to Alan for 29, so, you know, that past is wiped out now. But, um, but uh, so I was 16, he was 19, and, and as our relationship got more serious, things got more serious. And so I find my, found myself in a position of, I've really messed it all up now. Because good girls don't do that. Now what am I going to do? Because not only have I let my mom and dad down, but now I really ticked off God. And the consequence of this is I'm probably going to go to hell. That's what I thought. I, I really believe that. So I don't know what I'm going to do to fix this. I didn't really know that there was a way to fix it. Um, I mean, I knew I could go confess and say my number of prayers that I needed to say or whatever, but it seemed to me like that would be just this temporary thing. I can't imagine that would really fix it all. Um, but that's what I struggled with. So I thought to myself, okay, well, Michael and I are pretty serious, and he kind of likes me a lot and whatever. And, and um, so, you know, marriage was being talked about. Of course, um, I was only 16 at the time. We were talking about marriage at 17. So a couple months after I turned 18, Michael and I were married. Well, to me, that was the perfect fix. Because in my mind, as I was going through, how am I going to fix this with God? How am I going to make sure I don't go to hell? My thought was, well, if Michael and I get married, see, then it's all good. It's all good. I don't have to worry about that anymore. So we got married. That led to 10 years of a very rocky marriage. Abusive marriage, not physically. I was never, ever physically abused. But there was a lot of mental and emotional abuse. A lot of control in that marriage. It led to 10 years with some very dark years in there that were filled with depression, regret, worthlessness. And while I'm not saying that my view of God as being the judge that would punish me and send me to hell was the only reason we got married. It was not. We actually did have a relationship. It was a big player. It was a big influence for me. I don't know if I knew God that I know, if I knew the God I know now, 
that loves me unconditionally, that made a way for me that I could have turned to him, that it would have been okay, that I wasn't condemned to hell because of that. If I would have known those things then, I don't know if I would have made that same decision. And the thing is, that decision led to the next decision that led to the next decision that led to the next decision. And as Cleveland Kyles and Gwen always say is, well, this is where your best thinking got you. How's that working out for you? <laughs> I love that statement. I use it so many times. Because my best thinking got me into a deep pit. And I didn't know a way out. I didn't know a way out. But the Lord found me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But it was 10 long years full of a lot of heartache of working my way back to God. I, I say I almost, it's probably the wrong thing because we, we, we know we don't have to work our way back to God. But it took 10 long years before I would turn my eyes to God. Back to God. And see that, wow, he, he, he loves me. There's a way out. And you know what? I've messed up my life so completely now, Lord. I don't know how. I don't even know what decision to make next, good or bad, to fix this. But I know, but I'm, so I'm just going <laughs> to, here, here's, here's the thing. You know, I'm going to give you all these shreds of broken glass. And I'm going to tell you to do something with it. And, and he made a kaleidoscope out of it. Do you know what a kaleidoscope is? Have you seen those? I used to love those as kids. It's just full of a broken colored glass. That if you opened it up and poured it out, it would be nothing but, but broken glass. But when you look through the kaleidoscope and turn it, it makes the most beautiful designs that are ever changing. And it captures you. You just want to just keep looking at it. And that's what God did with all the broken glass that I gave him. Amen? Because his love, his love is just, is unconditional. So the reason that I told you that is because I wanted to illustrate to you that how important it is that we get the right message out to people. That we realize that we are not ministers of a gospel of condemnation. But we are ministers of a gospel of reconciliation. And it doesn't matter how much you messed up your life. God can do wonderful things with it. And it's unconditional. All you have to do is turn to him and his arms are open wide for you to come back to him. And the thing is, you don't read, and notice what I said, you have to turn. That's all you got to do. You don't have to go running after God. He, he's not back in heaven waiting on you to try to find your path. He's been chasing you down the whole time. All you got to do is turn because he's right there. He's been chasing you the whole time. He's never let you go. Amen. Thank you, Lord is right. 
and he will welcome us with open arms. All we have to do is accept the gift. All we have to do is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. No more, no less. His love is unconditional. There are no conditions that you have to meet for him to love you and to accept you into his family. None. The only thing we're asked to do is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He loves us unconditionally. And we need to live our lives knowing that we're loved. We need to live as though we're loved. We need to speak as though we're loved. We need to act as though we're loved. You know, I wasn't going to, I had put this part in my message and then I took it out, but then they sang that second song. <laughs> and so I'm just going to throw this in for free. He knows who I am. I know who I am. I'm a child of God. Identity is so important. It's hard to know you're loved if you don't know your identity in Christ. That you are a child of God. You are created in his image. If you're putting your identity in anything else, it's shifting sand. How can I prove that to you? One question. What is a woman? I don't know. we got a Supreme Court justice who has no idea what a woman is. Identity is shifting sand. Are you a human being? I don't know. we got a bunch of kids in upstate New York attending class uh, pretending they're cats because they're called furries. They identify as cats. And the teachers address that. Shifting sand. Shifting sand. 20 years ago, our identities in those types of areas, are you a human being? Yes, I am. That would never be questioned. Are you a woman? Are you a man? Maybe I don't feel like it on the inside, but biologically, yes, I'm a woman, I'm a man, whatever. Those things were not questioned 20 years ago. Today, you lose your job. Today, you get kicked off sports teams. All right? Shifting sand. Shift the anything you put your foundation on and your identity in that is not in Christ and that you are a child of the Most High God will not stand. Even the things that you think are the most solid things that could never possibly change, give it 10 years, it'll change. If it's not on the foundation of Christ, it will change. And people will die for the lie because they don't know who they are. They're fighting down here for the scraps 
that have fallen on the floor. And they don't even realize if you would look up, there's a place for you set at the table. But see, if, if, if all you know is a God that's angry and mean and judgmental and hateful, then you never know to look up. You never know to look up. You're just hoping you gather enough scraps from the ground that you'll be able to present before whatever, when the time comes, that you're worthy. Or, you know what, I don't even want the accountability, I don't even want to deal with the fact that there might be an afterlife and more to this life, so I'm just going to believe that, you know, nothing exists. Because then I don't have to carry the baggage of realizing that there's more than just this life. Right? So identity is important. Because if you understand your identity, then you could receive this word that you can live loved. And that God is a God of love. Unconditional love. For us and for every other person we come in contact with. I heard it said, and I'm going to close with this. Ooh, you guys get out early today. So I'm going to close with this. I heard it said that God's heart is that we live loved, we love living, and we live loving. <clears throat> live loved, love living, and live loving. It's all God's looking for. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you for your love, that it's unconditional, Lord God. I thank you that there are hearts out there that are almost afraid to believe that it's too good to be true that you would love us unconditionally, that even in the dark places that we may be in, Lord God, that you can reach into that darkness, that you can pull us out, and that you can do it without judgment, and you could do it with pure love, enveloping us in your arms, Lord God, and bringing us to a place that you have always desired us to be, a place, Lord God, of greatness, a place of destiny, a place of love, a place of hope, a place of joy, a place of strength, a place of wisdom, Lord God. So many things that your word promises us that are available to us. And so as we go forth this week, Lord God, help us to always remember that we are loved by you unconditionally. That we can live loved with no condemnation, Lord. Whenever the enemy brings to us a lie that is against you, against your character, against who you are, against your love, Lord God, strike it down. Help us to tear it down to bring it under submission to you, Father. That our identity would be rooted and grounded in you.
Help us, Lord God, to see all that co- those that come into our path through your eyes of love, Lord God. Let us see them as you see them, that we would be able to speak your unconditional love into their lives, Lord God, that we would be able to edify them, lift them up, Lord God, give them hope, Father God, that we would bring reconciliation between you and them, between them and you. We just thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Elders, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know of this love, if you're not sure of this love, if you find yourself in a dark place, if you just need prayer for anything at all, before you leave this place, please come up and let us just give you a hug, let us love you, let us pray for you, let us comfort you. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.